Hey, everybody, before we get to the show, just want to mention that we've got a Be That Lawyer live marketing Mavericks coming up on September 28th at noon central. We've got some of the most amazing legal minds, uh, Eric Olson, Jared Correa, Guy Sakalakis, and Jocelyn Brumbaugh, all coming to answer your toughest marketing questions. Uh, you can sign up on our events page on fretson.com. Hope to see you there. Enjoy the show. You're listening to Be That Lawyer, life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Each episode, your host, author, and lawyer coach, Steve Fretzen, will take a deeper dive, helping you grow your law practice in less time with greater results. Now, here's your host, Steve Fretzen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Be That Lawyer. I am Steve Fretzen. I'm just so happy that you're with us today. Again, this show is all about helping you to be that lawyer, someone who's confident, organized, and a skilled rainmaker. Today is no different. I've got Alan waiting in the wings. How's it going, Alan? Doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for being here down in a beautiful Memphis, Tennessee. You guys have some heat this summer. A little bit. We have both kinds of weather here, hot and humid. Hot and yes. Yeah. And they say it's the it's it's the wet heat. At, it's uh, the wet heat. <laughs> it's yeah. the wet heat. It's wonderful. And yeah, I was down there with my wife last summer and it was hot, but we we loved it. We had a, such a great time and eating all the great food, checking out the barbecue and the music. Um, Homa Elvis, right? I mean, it was unbelievable. The king of rock and roll. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. What'd you think of that movie? The Elvis movie. Well, I love the movie. I thought the movie was uh, really good. Yeah. Wow. Really kind of sad though, right? Well, you know, in some ways. Yeah, it's it just shows you the music business is a tough business. I don't think Elvis's story is, you know, is is that you unique in terms of you know how uh, when you're starting out, you're you're willing to sell your soul away, and and it's hard to get it back. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of people got kind of screwed over in the music industry. You know, maybe all the way through you know Motown and through even maybe into the seventies and eighties. And that's going to be our new topic for today. We're going to talk about rock and roll history. And uh, no, we're not going to do that. Alan, um, so thank, thank you for being here, man, being the guest. I, I love to start the show with a quote of the show. We've got, you can do it, which is uh, an Adam Sandler. It's in every Adam Sandler movie, isn't it? Something like that's that. That's right. That's right. And so why, what, what inspired you to, to put that quote out in front? Well, you know, I think it, it's just a reminder to me and to, to anyone that you can do it, that you know, I think we get a lot of thought distortions uh, and, you know, we think of all the reasons why an initiative won't work. You know, I've just opened my my third office in Chicago, uh, one in St. Louis and, of course, one in Memphis. And, you know, 10 years ago, the thought of having three offices uh, just would have uh, crippled me. I, I wouldn't have been able to to think that I could get to that point. And at some point, you just have to roll the dice and you know, you got to plan your work and work your plan. You can't just, you know, go from one office to three offices. It took, you know, several years for us to get there. But you've, you've got to develop that mindset that as long as you work hard and work smart, you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. You know, my, and my most people don't know this, but my background is in franchising and I helped, uh, you know, sell franchises and oversee. And, you know, people always want to expand their business. And I say, that sounds great. How's your first one doing? You know, well, you know, he's still working on it. Well, you want to franchise, you want to build, scale out and, and open other locations, but you haven't even made one successful. Like, make one successful, make two successful, then look at a third. Right? I mean, it just kind of makes sense that you know you don't want to go to you know you can roll the dice, but I'd rather you know have the dice loaded in my favor, you know, because I, I've built the processes and the systems in a way that's gonna 
allow me to, to scale out. So I think that uh, sounds like what you've done. Yeah. So Alan Crone, you are the CEO of the Crone Law Firm and um, you're a podcaster. You're, you know, you're running now three offices and I would love to hear your story and uh, leading into your Be That Lawyer tipping point. So, you know, I'll, I'll hand the mic to you for a minute and, uh, and, and catch us up to your background. Well, let me start with the tipping point and then tell you how I, I, I got there. That may be the uh, the most efficient way. I am a lawyer, but I'm also a, uh, I'm in recovery. Uh, I'm a recovering politician. Mm. And I started my own firm many, many years ago. And uh, I, I, I was a lawyer that also uh, was involved in politics. And that kind of culminated a few years ago when I was, had my law firm and I was also the senior policy advisor for Mayor Strickland, who's the mayor of my hometown. Uh, he and I have known each other since since college. So it was a great opportunity when he was elected to go in and be his uh, chief policy advisor and uh, help run the city. And for a uh, for a political junkie like me, it was it was just it was wonderful. And I did that for four years in a lot of ways, the most fulfilling four years I've had professionally certainly politically. Uh, but it, it, towards the end of that, I realized that that I was just, I just didn't have, my focus was so dispersed, right? I I, I had a, a full-time job helping uh, the mayor. I had a full-time job running my, my law office. I had a full-time job being a lawyer and, uh, and then a number of other full-time jobs. I was a, I'm a father, I'm a husband. And I said, you know, I just can't have this lack of focus anymore. And so I really began to think as the, that first term ended, what, what am I going to do? And I said, you know, I, I really need to focus. And so I, uh, I, I told the mayor, I said, I know I committed to, to one term that's coming up. I'm going to have to transition out. So I did. And I narrowed my focus a little more on being a lawyer. And a couple of years went by. And one August, I'm in a member of a mastermind group. and you know, at the end of, of mastermind groups, a lot of times they'll go around the room. What did you get out of this session? And it came to me and I said, you know, I've got to get more focus in, in my life. And so I'm going to make a pledge to this room that a year from now, I'm either going to be getting a W-2 from a, a law firm and I'm going to focus on practicing law and trying cases, or I'm, I'm going to be a full-time CEO with running no cases. and over the course of the year, I came to that conclusion that I was going to do the latter, that I thought that I could have a greater impact in my profession by helping other lawyers be great lawyers and helping them to get great results for their clients. And so that's what I do now. And I wish I could say that I don't have, uh, I don't have regrets, but that I don't have pangs every now and then to get back and get into the courtroom because that's what I love to do or get back and work one-on-one -on -one with clients. And I still do that a, a little bit, but I really have to be disciplined and stay focused on that. And I can tell you that that was the tipping point for me and my um, and, and the firm as it exists now. Once I became a full-time CEO, then my law firm became a full-time business yeah. and it has greatly improved and it's not a matter of I'm a great CEO. I'm probably a lousy CEO in the pantheons of CEOs because at, at the core, I'm still a political science major with a law degree. 
But that focus and that commitment to doing one thing well um, is at least to the extent I've had success is is uh, the success uh, behind it. And um, my professional goal is to transform the American workplace. And I realized I was going to be I'm going to be a lot more able to do that if I have a greater impact on a greater number of people. And uh, I'm letting go of the arrogance that nobody can try a a case like me. No one can represent people like uh, I can represent them. There are lots of great lawyers out there that that can come in and I can mentor them. I can I can show them the way I would do it. And hopefully that that increases uh, their um, their abilities. In fact, we had a a a, a session uh, last weekend at my house. Uh, all the lawyers in the firm uh, came over to my house and uh, we watched some um, uh, CDs uh, or DVDs on uh, cross examination. And we would pause them and we would talk it through. And it was a great time. But you know, I really reject the idea that always bridal when uh, someone, usually a consultant, talks about the legal industry. I think we can still consider ourselves professionals. This is a profession, but our professional enterprises have to be run like a business because they are businesses. Yeah. And it's it's the hardest thing. One of the hardest things for a lawyer to do is to make that decision and to flip the switch and say, look, I've got to get out of, you know, the billable hours or the practicing every day and being in the weeds and focus on how do I, well, that could be business development. That could be marketing. That could be, you know, the management of the firm, whatever the case is, when you're, all you're doing is billing hours, there's no growth and there's very little or to no growth involved in that. And so I think that's where a lot of lawyers stagnate is they, they haven't figured out how to break the chain of the billable hour to to do something that may actually impact a lot more people. That's right. And and Steve, don't get me me wrong, and I'm sure you would agree with this, that you know, I made the decision I was going to build a business. And once I made that decision, then I had to leave the the day-to-day practice of law behind because of what you just said. But it's perfectly acceptable, obviously, that if if someone says, look, I just want to be a solo practitioner and I'm content with with making what I'm making, the impact I'm making, and I just want to have some autonomy in the way I practice law, well, more power to them. That's a that's also a really great, great way to be. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I just made the decision that I wanted to build a business. And, you know, and so I think once you decide that, unless you're superwoman or superman, it's hard to do that while having two full-time jobs. So let me ask you this, when you're, you're, you know, you're talking to an audience of lawyers, some that are at, you know, big firms, mid-market, some that are on their own and, and everything in between. And many of them are, are, you know, curious about, all right, so it's one thing to, to start a solo practice or it's one thing to lead a firm, but I'm still the name person. I'm still the person that, you know, people go to, they want me to run the case. They want, you know, my name's not, your name's on the door. That's the biggest struggle is like, how do I, how, you know, yeah, my name's on the door, so I'm the lawyer. How do they get out of that? That's the trick, right? Well, it's a, it's a trick, but I think it's a pretty simple one. Okay. Just do it. <laughs> is it also, can we say, just say no from the, uh, the old 80s drugs commercials? Here it is. I mean, if you think about it logically, someone comes to your firm, they want you and they can't have you for whatever reason. Well, what's their alternative? 
they're going to get another lawyer, whether it's someone in your firm or somebody else. So right. if you're out of the equation. That's that is a that's a budget neutral, if you will, uh, issue. So now the question is, all right, how do you convert them from going to the law office next door or to take somebody else in your firm? Well, first of all, all the people in the firm I've trained. So you're getting, you know, you're getting, um, you know, Michelangelo didn't paint the Sistine Chapel himself. He sketched the outlines and he taught his people how to, to paint it all in. And so that's part of what we sell is this notion that you're going to get the Crone Law Firm way. And I think the best possible tactic you can you can use to get yourself out of it is don't do any initial consultations yourself. Um, when you get right down to it, most people come in wanting me because that's the name they've heard. But as soon as they talk to another competent lawyer, they're very, they're very, very happy with that lawyer if that lawyer sells them on on her skills. So I think a lot of being a CEO in this type of environment that we're talking about, where where I am the brand, no question about it, the Crone Law Firm, we have a ton of videos and, and promotional, and, and you see my mug all over the place, which if it was somebody else, we'd probably do a lot better. But I have to have the humility to realize it really isn't all about me, that most people just want a lawyer who is, they assume competency. Yeah. You know, that's the ante to get in is that you're an excellent lawyer. But if you can, if, if you've got a, a team that makes your clients feel relevant and loved, then they're happy no matter what the situation. And they're going to be happy win, lose, or draw if they've gotten that kind of uh, attention. And so that's what we start out from the very, very beginning with our uh, intake professionals and with the lawyers who do the consultations. And it's not long before people are saying, Crone, who, who's that? You know, yeah. uh, Bob, my lawyer, and that's, uh, and I'm, I'm very pleased with that. So I think it's two things. One is taking yourself out cold turkey. And the other is having the ability to realize that if you do that, your firm isn't going to fall apart. In fact, you're going to leverage all of the talents that are in your firm. And it's going to be even bigger and better than if it was just you trying to do everything. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm getting the, the, phraseology right on this, but it's like trust via association, right? So like if I'm referring someone to someone, they trust me, trust by association, right? That if I refer someone to an attorney, I refer someone to another coach, which happens that they're going to, you know, believe that that person is the right person right from the start because of that trust and that association. So I think if they're coming to the crone firm, right? And they, they don't get you, but you're the trusted name. Right. Then it's still going to it's still going to play out. And, and then when as soon as they meet a great lawyer. Right. I don't think they're going to they're going to shop it. They're just going to they're going to want to just damn right here. Person, you know, knows what they're talking about. Asked a lot of great questions. And, and let's get this on. Yeah. I mean, nobody nobody asked when they were buying a Model T. Now, did did Henry Ford build this himself? Yeah. You know, did Mr. Harley <laughs> and Mr. Davidson put my motorcycle together? Yeah. Sears deliver these products. You know, people understand that. I mean, give. Give folks some credit. You know, they they know how things work. And so they're not surprised when that happens. And it's more often that if it's a referral or if it's a buddy of mine, you know, they want me because they know, like, and trust me. And it doesn't take long for me to introduce somebody. Now, that kind of that kind of switch may be a little more difficult because of the personal relationship. But once they get to know, like, and trust this other lawyer, you know, they're happy as long as they're taken care of. Yeah. And 
to me, that's really the key is making sure you've got systems in place to make sure that these folks that are working for you are delivering the same level of service or the same type of service that the named partner has become known for. As you all know, finding amazing employees can be the toughest job for any law firm leader. You deserve to run the law firm you've always dreamed of, but you can't get there without a great team. To get staffed up, they will help you by staffing your law firm with incredible full-time, offshore executive assistance, legal assistance, marketing assistance, and much more. The best part? They will find you a highly qualified English-speaking VA based in Latin America for only a fraction of the cost locally. At Fretzen, we use Get Staffed Up for marketing person, and you know how good our marketing is. Learn more at GetStaffedUp.com slash BeThatLawyer. Hey, everybody, check this out. You've just had a call with a client where they need help with something you don't do. You've reached out to colleagues, you've searched the lawyer directories, and you simply tell them you don't know anyone that can help. Overture changes all of that. Overture is the first private attorney network designed for the country's best independent attorneys to refer matters to one another and ethically share in referral fees. It's a great way to keep your clients happy and build your practice with referred clients. It's by the founders of LegalZoom. Membership is free if you're accepted, but act now to get priority access to referrals for your state and practice area. Apply for membership at overture.law, overture.law.w. Lawyers, there's an easy way to boost your law practice. Partner with Get Visible, the digital marketing agency that makes you stand out. Meet Sarah, an awesome lawyer, but a terrible marketer. Get Visible helped her build a powerful website and boost her online visibility. Now she ranks high on Google, gains clients through ads and engaging content. Tired of feeling insignificant? Make it rain. Visit GetVisible.com and stand out. Okay, so let's let's break that down. So, all right, so number one, decide that you're going to run the firm, go cold turkey, right? And, okay. But that happened, did that? Did you put in systems before you did that or did you put in systems after? I think you have to put the systems in first. Right, all right, so that's where I wanna go. So, all right, so the, the confidence to go cold turkey, as you mentioned, happens in part because you have a great team, number one, I'm assuming, and then number two is you've got systems in place. What are the top two or three systems that you have in place that allowed you the comfort level to say, I'm not taking any more cases on, I'm gonna hand it to my amazing team? Well, I think the first thing you've got to have is good financial dashboards and KPIs, um, key performance indicators for your back office staff. And that sounds kind of counterintuitive, right? Because what we're talking about is getting out of the day-to-day practice. But I got to make sure that my, my back office is right. And so having good systems and making sure everybody knows, you know, a good example of it is you're settling the case, you're a PI firm and you're settling the case. You've got to have great systems to make sure that you're capturing all of the expenses and know where all of the liens are so that when you finish, you've got a good, you know, a good settlement and everybody's getting paid what they're supposed to be paid. Now, if you don't have that system in place and you just hand this off to, you know, a gaggle of associates and and non-equity partners who are going to do these things and you don't have that system in place. Bad things can can happen. So that's the first place I would start is having good financial systems. And then I would make sure, then I made sure, um, I, I took a year to do this. This wasn't something I came in one day after a, you know, a mastermind and said, okay, starting today, 
I'm a CEO. No, I had cases I had to work out of and I had to put these systems in place. We put in a new case management system and we had to make sure that people were really using it. I'm going to break some news on your podcast, Steve. What's the worst case management system there is? I'm going to say no case management system. No, the one you got. Everybody, <laughs> everybody hates the case management system. They're always looking for a, a silver bullet someplace else. Yeah. You know, who's the most popular person in an NFL town? It's the backup quarterback. Everybody thinks their, their case management system is bad. I'll tell you why. Because they did not train and inculcate people with it. They didn't make it a part of their culture. They didn't make it a member of the team. Your case management system has to almost be a member of your team. And, and so if you've got a good case management system, you've got good reporting, then you can monitor where people are and you can start to get good metrics on, all right, how long should this particular kind of case take me? Is it on track? That sort of thing. And the next thing is you've got to, you've got to train, train, train. Um, to borrow a phrase, train, baby, train. You've got to invest money in your people. I send every lawyer within two or three years of, of, of being hired at our firm, go to the Mark Lanier Trial Academy in Houston. If you haven't been, it's great. There are lots of other great trial academies, but I want to make sure that everybody's been exposed to it. Everybody understands it. And, and that's the, how we try cases. Every lawyer in my firm, uh, here's the uh, uh, Posner-Dodd uh, techniques on cross-examination. That's how we cross-examine. That's how we try cases. We have a system for written discovery. And we identified all of those areas that were just mission critical and uh, developed the systems and then trained. And, you know, we're not all the way there yet. You're never going to be all the way there on that. But the biggest thing I did for a year was get everybody ready for this. And, uh, you know, I weaned myself off consultations. I was doing consultations, uh, say, the first quarter of that year, and I would do the consultation, then I would, I would hand it off to somebody else. Then I started having people in the consultation with me, and I would leave halfway through the consultation. Then as we got towards the end of the year, I just stopped doing consultations. And I made a list of all the things that I just love doing like being on podcast, being uh, a guest on podcasts. And my goal is that's all I do. I do the things I love doing, the things that give me energy, and uh, I let everybody else do what they do. And so it took about a year. And if I'm honest with myself, maybe a little more than a year. I, I started in August and it was probably October, November of the following year when I was really, really out of it because I still had a, a few legacy cases that I just didn't feel like I probably could have just walked out of them, but I didn't feel like that was the right thing to do. But now, like I say, I miss being a lawyer, you know, being a day-to-day -day lawyer. Um, but I wouldn't, and I may go back someday, right? I mean, once the, the firm is doing really, really well, uh, I may, may start running some cases again. But it's more important to me to build to build something and to help other people deliver legal services. And I feel that I've just got a bigger, uh, I'm making a bigger impact than I could as just a solo practitioner with a, an associate or two. Yeah. Have you, have you found also that it's helpful to bring up one of your attorneys as sort of your second in command, like to have someone that 
steps in for you, whether that's for management, leadership, running the cases, you know, managing the people. Is that another piece of this of this puzzle? Absolutely. Um, I have a director of legal services and general counsel who is our, you know, is our ethics person, but also supervises our lawyers and supervises our legal team. And right now he's got in a dual role. My my goal someday, you know, within the three-year plan is to have someone that's all they're doing mm-hmm. is focusing on supervision and and the the KPIs for the legal teams and training and, and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you you've got it, you've got to have that because again, sitting in a in a meeting trying to to you know referee disputes between lawyers or help people manage their case managers or whatever it is. That's not in that list of things that I love doing. Um, so I need to find somebody who, who loves doing that. And I have a fellow right now who, uh, I don't know that he loves doing it, but he is, he is super at it. He's great with interpersonal uh, skills and he's a great trial lawyer. So people will listen to him when he speaks. And, um, you know, again, it's it's all about delegation. And I think delegation is the most, most uh, sincere act of humility to be able to delegate something to somebody else and say, I, you know, I don't have to do it to, for it to be successful. And, um, you know, now you're going to be successful and somebody else is going to be successful. It is, uh, is an exponential win-win. Well, and the thing people don't realize about delegation is that it's not something that happens day one in, in, in any kind of complete way. Right. So if I hire, if I'm working with an attorney that I want to delegate to, you know, you start off more as a micromanager because it's their first time and you've got to check and balance and all that, then that can just slowly go to the point where they they run on their own and they don't need, you know, you for much. And that's a skill. That's a, I don't know if it's a learned skill to some degree, I think it is, but it, but understanding how to delegate in a way that's gonna, you know, de- develop success versus frustration. And, and this person's an idiot, doesn't know what they're doing. Well, yeah, but then the training comes in, right? How have they been trained to handle the things you're delegating over a period of time. That's that's right. And I think a, a mistake that I made and a lot of lawyers make is they uh, they hire for potential rather than hiring for skill. Mm. And particularly when you're starting out, you know, wow, this 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 uh, woman is right out of law school. She went to this fancy law school. She's really smart and uh, she's got a lot of upside, a lot of potential. I'm going to train her up. And, you know, maybe that is the right call when you're a solo or solo and you're hiring your first associate. But at some point you get to the to the point where I needed someone to lead this team. I need somebody who's been there, done that. I need to mm-hmm. go find someone who's been out 15 years, 20 years, and I'm gonna have to pay them what they're worth to get them to come do this. But you're gonna get somebody who uh who, as you say, knows what they're doing. Yeah. And and even then you can't assume that they know what they're doing in your way of doing things. Right. And so again, you've got to train, you've got to educate, you've got to mentor even people that are supposedly know what they're doing because if they've been at, you know, a big firm and they're wanting a different kind of balance and, you know, a big firm may do things a whole lot differently than you do and they may tolerate a whole lot of things that you can't tolerate. And you've got to make sure you have those conversations on the front end and that's why culture is so important for a law firm. 
Yeah. And, and we didn't really get in and we don't have a ton of time, but I mean, if you could just do 30 seconds or a minute on culture, because I think you can't, the things that you're, that you've done and, and I, you know, three offices and building a team and taking an active CEO role, I don't think that can happen without a strong culture. Well, like you say, you could do 17 shows on culture, but I think the first thing is you, you've got to sit down every organization, including law firms, has to have a mission that is articulated. Mm -hmm. Our mission is that we're out, the Crone Law Firm uh, is out to transform the American workplace by putting people first, one case at a time. And that's where you got to start with what's my mission? What am I trying to do? And making sure that everybody knows that your mission, you got to have core values. I am the guy 15 years ago that if you sat me down and say, okay, we're going to have a SWOT analysis and we're going to decide what our uh, key values are and our mission are, as I would tell you to go blank yourself. <laughs> you know, that's all. You, you weren't ready to receive that at the time. Oh, no, that's all hippie mumbo jumbo. <laughs> but look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sold on it now because I've seen the power of it in my organization and other organizations. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so you've got to be intentional about it. And it's not just something you put on the wall. You've got to live it every day. You've got to make decisions about it every day, and you've got to let your folks know that that's how you're making the decisions. And once you do, you'll have a culture, and then it's a lot easier to bring somebody in and say, "Look, this is our culture. We're transparent. And, you know, that's one of our core values." And so, you know, everybody is going to know what your billable number is, and you're going to know what everybody else's billable number is. And if that's, I don't care how great a lawyer are, if you are, you know, irritated by that or or, you know, that repels you, then you don't need to work here. Yeah. Uh, and there are a bunch of things like that, that just because you don't buy into that core value doesn't mean you're a bad person or a bad lawyer or anything else. It just means you're not going to be happy here and we're not going to be happy with you. Yeah. And better to know that, you know, right at the very start uh, or before it starts than, than, than later down the road when, when there's the friction. So yeah. really great stuff, Alan. Um, you've got a podcast, uh, Game Changing Podcast is not uh, one that you're listening to. It's one that you're doing. It's called Ask Alan. Can you tell everybody a little bit about that? Well, it um, it's basically uh, we we interview entrepreneurs and lawyers and um, and people that are making a difference in uh, in our various communities. Now, uh, Chicago will be one of those communities, and it's, it's similar to this. It's a it's a conversation. Um, entrepreneurs, particularly, I always say every superhero has an origin story, and so I always like to hear their origin stories. How did they go from being a freshman at Duke University? Um, to owning a, a, a large uh, wine distributorship. You know, how do you go from, from one place to the other? And I think that informs young people that, uh, you know, nobody uh, uh, comes out of the ground uh, fully formed. I mean, even Fred Smith, who hasn't been a guest, I'd love to have him. But, you know, uh, you know, Federal Express didn't start out as a big behemoth. It started out very small. His family had money, but not unlimited money. and he grew that business from uh, something very modest to a, to a global icon. So I, I think that's uh, what the, the show is really about. Yeah. Well, that sounds really interesting. So everybody check out that. It's uh, called Ask Allen. And if people want to get in touch with you and you're, again, you've got an office in Memphis, office in St. Louis, and now opening in, opened in Chicago or opening in Chicago? Uh, opened. Yes. We're open. Uh, okay. Awesome. We were open. Yeah. Welcome to town, man. And um, 
if people want to get in touch with you, whether it's to be a part of your culture, whether to, to maybe join the firm, maybe it's to, to network with you in some way, right, to refer you. Uh, they may have cases in Memphis and in St. Louis. Um, best way to reach you. Best way to reach me is uh, uh, email uh, acrone at cronelawfirmplc.com. And if um, if you forget that, uh, you j- just Google me, Alan Crone, Attorney Memphis, and we've got a good SEO department. We'll pop right up there. And I'd love to hear from anybody. Yeah. And something you may want to consider and everyone listening is um, one of our sponsors is uh, Overture.Law. And what they do is the ethic fee sharing. They figured out a way to do uh, fee sharing that's just like turnkey. You just, you know, you got to get interviewed by them. Uh, everyone there has been, um, is, you know, is kind of uh, in a referral network. And then they take care of all the numbers and all the details of, of how the fees are shared in an ethical way. So that's a nationwide opportunity there for everybody. So grab your town and grab your practice area uh, while it's still available. So I check out Overture and our other sponsor, uh, Get Visible, helping people to do the SEO and to do the website. And, and uh, they're working with me on some retargeting campaigns on LinkedIn. So you guys that are listening might be seeing some ads for upcoming events and free books and things that I like to give away and, and how I like to educate. And uh, as a as a point to that, um, you can check out um, and get a copy of Sales Free Selling, which is my first book, 10 years old last week. And it's fretson.com uh, slash sales dash free dash selling to pick that up and uh, grab a copy of that. And of course, Get Staffed Up uh, was helping people hire highly qualified English speaking VAs uh, for a fraction of the cost. Alan Crone, thank you so much, man. I mean, there aren't a lot of attorneys that I've interviewed on this show that are so articulate about what does it take to stop being in the minutia of the firm and to step up and really do what A, makes them happy and B, what's going to you know produce results. And so uh, just really appreciate you being on the show and sharing all that great wisdom. Uh, it's great. I'm an overnight success. Just been working on it for 35 years. That's all. That's all. It's a quick, it's a quick, quick 35 year fix. Well, listen, everybody, if you didn't take some notes on today's show, either mentally or physically, um, you should. Um, Alan was giving you gem after gem after gem. And that's what this show is all about. As you all know, it's helping you to be that lawyer. And sometimes that means, you know, cutting back on the bill of hours and focusing on other things that are going to help you get ahead and really live the best life you can live. Someone who's uh, that lawyer, confident, organized, and a skilled rainmaker. Take care, everybody. Be safe. Be well. We will talk again very soon. Thanks for listening to Be That Lawyer, life-changing strategies and resources for growing a successful law practice. Visit Steve's website, fretson.com, for additional information and to stay up to date on the latest legal business development and marketing trends. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out today's show notes.